Wait, this oh, looks like we're live now. That's good. Cool. Uh, if you have any difficulty hearing this or seeing this, please just comment. I'll, I'll flip-flop back and forth between this uh, live stream here and the uh, Facebook group. So I'm using OBS software to broadcast on Facebook so we can use our web server uh, to show you so I can read some case law to you and explain something to you. Real excited to bring this one to you today. I didn't actually put a headline up, but I'll add that later on. And also the language from the U.S. Supreme Court case that we're going to discuss this afternoon, Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, 2020. Um, wearing a hat, not doing my hair. Plus, the hat thing has been in. You've seen live PD. Anywho, let's also make this a Q&A session. So if you have questions you want to uh, ask, perfect, no problem. If I have the capability of answering them, I will. If not, I'll defer them till later. I'll answer later on, or I'll send you and direct you to the right place where you can find the right answer. You're going to ask me about traps and cars. That's Brad Gilmore. You can ask me how to do a red faux hawk properly. That's Kenny Williams. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to switch back real fast make sure we're, we're up and running and rocking. Yo, Brian Anthony, what up, brother? Good to see you, man. Thanks for being here with us. Um, look, here's an important one today. It's, it's, uh, it's so fun. I don't know why to do a video on this earlier. How many of you don't know? And I'm going to use some New Jersey vernacular, uh, but let me explain to you that there's something, there's a tool in law enforcement that the law permits us to do in Supreme Court, and every state has the same thing. Now, what you may call it, or what you do call it could be something different. That's fine. But in New Jersey, we call it an investigative detention order. What does that mean? So let me, let me uh, you know, set this thing up for you so you can understand and comprehend. Let's say you have a robbery of a bank, okay? And the robbery occurs, and maybe two blocks uh, beyond the bank, after it was robbed and and, and Patrol units and detectives are scouring the area looking for clues and evidence. They find the mask that was used to rob the bank. And inside the mask, there is some blood. Now they take the mask, they swab the blood, and now they have a good blood sample. The blood swab actually worked. We've got a good blood sample. We just don't have a match for it yet. We know that's the, that's the mask that was used. Now over the next week, uh, some people in town, we develop some of our criminal informants uh, maybe somebody who comes forward and says to the police, look, uh, you know, when that when that TD bank got robbed, I think I know who did it. And then we start corroborating their tips. Well, this guy, John, came to the house uh, a day later and was bragging to everybody that he had robbed the TD bank. Um, he was wearing this shirt, blah, 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 blah. Now, I don't know if he did it, but this is what he said where he was. As a matter of fact, I was at the house that day when he ran back in, out of breath. Uh, it seemed kind of strange. He seemed extremely nervous and agitated. I could see his hair was messed. So what we have is a, a lot of reasonable suspicion that John probably robbed TD Bank. Now, only if we had John's DNA could we get a match to that mask. So what we can do is we can take our findings, reasonable suspicion, the person who is the suspect, who is thought to have committed that crime, the person who is thought to have committed that crime, we could take all the facts and circumstances to the judge. We can say to the judge, Your Honor, um, the TD Bank got robbed. A, cr a criminal offense occurred. Now, we've collected some evidence, whether it be a buccal uh, blood evidence or you know DNA evidence or fingerprint. And I'll tell you some other stories of how this worked out well for police agencies. Um, and we also have this on the other end. We have this guy, John, 
And this is what happened. This is factual documented things that we've gotten from our CIs and from word in the street where somebody came forward. We think it was him. We've kind of done our, our homework. We don't have enough probable cause, but we have enough reasonable suspicion to show circumstantially. It's very likely that it was him. What we need to do is get a buccal swab from John. Now, if we get that buccal swab, we're quite confident that we can close this case out and charge him with the armed robbery of the TD bank. And the judge can say, rightly so. Here is your, what we call in New Jersey, investigative detention order. Now, in other states, you'll call it a warrant, whatever it may be. But in New Jersey, it's called investigative detention order. So we can now go find John. And we would offer to him uh, the ability to comply and consent. But we'd also serve him with this judicial warrant that says, hey, you are going to come with us back to headquarters. Or you're going to submit right here on scene to this detective swabbing the inside of your cheek. Now, if you don't want to, it's contempt of court. We'll recontact the judge and ask him what, you, what he wants to do. You're going to find yourself making an arrest. And a lot of these uh, investigative detention orders, they'll say things like, this is meant to do nothing except collect what you need and then release. Usually there's a time limit on it. Five hours seems to be the time limit on it. So you have to be diligent when you get that executed to transport John back to headquarters, whether you have to obtain fingerprints or do a buccal swab at police headquarters. Once that's completed, we move on with our lives. Uh, wouldn't be a bad time to also read somebody Miranda because technically you're in custody. But this is something that uh, is addressed in a U.S. Supreme Court case. I'm going to show you the facts of the case. It's called the New Jersey Investigative Detention Order. I'm going to show you our guidelines, our court rules, uh, 3-5A, uh, which directs police officers in New Jersey what to do. Do you know how many people in this state and around the country have no idea these exist? Could you imagine how many crimes go unsolved because of the lack of knowledge of these existing laws and what they say. Could you imagine that there are entire counties and states where nobody knew this stuff existed? The whole district attorney's office, prosecutor's office, you may call them the first time and say, hey, we need this. And they're going to go, what, what are you talking about? Very possible. And there's other people who are very well informed that this occurs, that, that this exists. So let's go into, let me switch back to the group for a second. Um, hey, George, how are you? Uh, Steph, uh, Stephen, sorry, dude. New Orleans, what's up, brother? Uh, Westmoreland County, PA. Hey, man. Pauline Walnuts, good to see you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Let's go into what the courts have said at the U.S. Supreme Court level. So this is Hayes versus Florida. And I wrote some notes down here in front of me. Uh, so this way I can try to give you the abbreviated version. And essentially what happens in Hayes versus Florida is uh, a burglary rape occurs. They develop some reasonable suspicion. This guy did it. They go down without a warrant and they take him back to headquarters to obtain his fingerprints. Um, and the court said, no, you, look, you can't do that. What you should have done, even with reasonable suspicion, because of these certain circumstances, which are very few and far between, we will allow uh, a Fourth Amendment intrusion to attenuate these circumstances. But without a warrant, you could have done it. So that's what happens. They take him in. Uh, then he says he voluntarily consents, which probably wasn't true at this time. Uh, they said, well, we're going to arrest you, bring you in for your fingerprints if you don't work with us. And he's like, fine, I'd just rather go and get transported in, which probably was bullshit that some detective made up because we didn't have iPhones then. You could just make shit up uh, to achieve your circumstances. But times have changed. You need to be a knowledgeable case law knowing police officer to do this job effectively. We still have a job to do. Law enforcement's going nowhere. We haven't, we haven't figured out how to have robots that enforce the law. So you're going to be here for a while. We still have the law to uphold and enforce. So you have to know these things. The job is not impossible. Don't listen to the idiots that you work with. The job is very possible, even more possible, and even more exciting in today's circumstances with 
the knowledge that you have to go out and do the work that you do. Just need administrative support. So let's go into Hayes. And I just have some language here that I wanted to, wanted to show you guys. I have an 814 cited right here. We agree with the petitioner that Davis, Mississippi versus U.S. 1969 requires the reversal of the judgment below. In Davis, the court, in this course of investigating rape, I'm sorry, in the course of investigating a rape, Police officers brought Petitioner Davis to police headquarters on December 3rd, 1965. He was fingerprinted and briefly questioned before he was released. He was later charged and convicted of the rape. An issue there was whether the fingerprints taken on December 3rd were, the, were inadmissible fruits of an illegal detention. Conceitedly, the police at, the time, at that time were without probable cause for an arrest. There was no warrant, and Davis had not contested, I'm sorry, consented to being taken to the station house. The state nevertheless contends that the Fourth Amendment did not forbid an investigative detention for the purpose of fingerprinting, even in the absence of probable cause or a warrant. We rejected that submission, holding a Davis detention for the purpose of fingerprinting was subjected to the constraints of the Fourth Amendment and exceeded the permissible limits of those temporary seizures authorized by Terry v. Ohio. This was so even though fingerprinting, because it involves neither repeated harassment nor any of the probing into private life and thoughts that often marks interrogation and search, represents a much less serious intrusion upon personal security than other types of searches and detentions. Nor was it sufficient to answer to the Fourth Amendment issue to recognize that fingerprinting is inherently more reliable and an effective crime-solving mechanism than other types of evidence such as lineups and confession. The court indicated that perhaps under narrowly confined circumstances, a detention for fingerprinting on less than probable cause might comply with the Fourth Amendment, but found it unnecessary to decide that question since no effort was made to employ the procedures necessary to satisfy the Fourth Amendment. So what they're saying here is people have suggested it, but it hasn't been suggested here. So we're not going to offer a uh, Davis didn't offer a conclusion to this. So we will today. We will touch upon this today. Hopefully, I don't want to confuse you with the language. That's why I'm, I'm trying to give you the most important stuff at the moment uh, of what you need to know so you can understand it. You can read the whole thing. It's not hard to read or understand. I'm just trying to save you time uh, regarding this. Let's go back to this. <clears throat> Where was it? Rather, Davis had been detained at police headquarters without probable cause to arrest, without a warrant, without authorization by a judicial officer, which means a judge. Here, as in Davis, there was no probable cause to arrest, no consent to the journey to the police station, no judicial authorization for such detention for fingerprinting purposes. Unless later cases have undermined Davis, we now disavow that decision. The judgment below must be reversed. None of our later cases have undercut the holding in Davis that transportation and investigation detention at the station house without probable cause or judicial authorization together violate the Fourth Amendment. Indeed, some 10 years later in Dunaway v. New York, 1979, we refuse to extend Terry v. Ohio to authorize investigative interrogations at police stations on less than probable cause, even though proper warnings under Miranda had occurred. So what they're saying here is, let us remind everybody that in, that in um, Donovan v. New York, we say when you move somebody from a location to another location in police custody against their will, that is a functional equivalent of an arrest. You would need either consent and a good consent, not just like one that you're like, you're coming with us, yes or no. Like, you know, you need a good voluntary consent. Um, and it also said that, and it also said you need probable, or that you need probable cause because it's a full-blown arrest when you transport somebody against their, uh, their will to a place for police interrogation or at the police discretion. So let's go back um, to this. Let's continue to read. 
I got that. We relied on reaffirmed the holding in Davis that in the absence of probable cause or a warrant, investigative detentions at the police station for fingerprinting purposes could not be squared with the Fourth Amendment, while at the same time repeating the possibility that the amendment might permit a narrowly circumscribed procedure to fingerprinting detentions on less than probable cause. Since at that time, we have had several times revisited and explored the reach of Terry v. Ohio, most recently in U.S. versus Sharp. But none of these cases have sustained against Fourth Amendment challenge in the inventory and voluntary rule of a suspect from his home to a police station and his detention, therefore investigated purposes, whether for interrogation or fingerprinting, absent probable cause or a warrant. Judicial authorization is a warrant. Okay, I'm stopping at judicial authorization. I'm coming down to 817 here. And let's see, there is, right here. There is support in our cases for the view that the Fourth Amendment would permit seizures for the purpose of fingerprinting if there is reasonable suspicion that the suspect has committed a criminal act and there is a reasonable basis for believing that fingerprinting will establish or negate the suspect's connection with that crime. And if the procedure is carried out with dispatch, of course, neither the reasonable suspicion nor probable cause would suffice to permit the officers to make a warrantless entry to a person's home for the purpose of attaining a fingerprint identification. So you need a warrant. We also do not abandon the suggestion in Davis and Dunaway that under circumscribed procedures, the Fourth Amendment might permit the judiciary to authorize the seizure of a person on less than probable cause and his removal to a police station for the purposes of fingerprinting. We do not, of course, have such case before us. We do note, however, that some states, in reliance on suggestion in Davis, have enacted procedures for judicially authorized seizures for the purpose of fingerprinting. The state courts are not in accord with the validity of these effects to uh, insulate, uh, insulate investigative seizures from Fourth Amendment invalidation. And they offer some comparisons there. So what does that mean? They're saying, look, yeah, there's times you can do this. We get it. And you have to find out what your court says regarding these, or your state says regarding these circumstances. I haven't come across a state yet that didn't have an investigative detention order, a warrant for identifying and, and obtaining, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Every state, I've heard different terms and, and languages used for it, describing adjectives or pronouns or whatever, whatever you call it. Let's go back to what New Jersey says now. So here's a good one for the New Jersey guys and girls. And the best part is when we do these videos, we're showing you where it says it. So when you go back to your coworkers and command staff and say, hey, by the way, why don't we do this? And they go, what, what's that? We don't do things like that. I've never heard anything like that in my life. Like, that's because nobody's researching any stuff, right? That's because people think they can just skate through this career and they don't have a duty and obligation to know what the fuck they're doing. Think about how much stuff goes unsolved. How many victims that never got uh, a sense of relief or, or comfort knowing that they're, uh, the person who committed the crime against them is still at large and unapprehended, unbeknownst to them that the police that they relied upon to do the job could not perform what they were expected to perform because of lack of caring, lack of knowledge. And yet, if it had happened in the next town over or the next state over or the next county over, there may have been somebody there who actually knew what to do, how to perform it, and was smart enough to make it happen. Nepotism plays a huge role. Politics play a huge role in some of the issues that we have and why police officers are unable to perform their job in the field. One of the things is a lack of responsibility of knowing what the fuck you're talking about. And by the way, I was subject to that too. I was sent out into the field with no knowledge and expected to perform. And you are too. 
And I just can't understand that and fathom that. And I think about that all the time. Like, how many cops are tasked with this duty to do this job under the scrutiny of the media, your administration, and the Grim Reaper? And have been offered nothing as far as training is concerned. Have been offered an academy that was described as anything you learn there is not be worth a shit in the street. You'll learn all that on your own. Why are we accepting that? Why is that the answer? Nobody cares. Why are we not taking the people who seem to be struggling at work and putting our arm around them and saying, hey, you should probably know this stuff. Why are we not changing the muster room meetings to being something valuable other than how many shots Tim had last night before he vomited on the throughway out the window and moons some fucking trucker, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm all about that fun, but there's a job to do and it's a serious job. And, you know, we're under constant scrutiny. If you can't back up your actions with, with facts of why you did what you did, you're going to find yourself in hot water, but you will find yourself confident when you have this knowledge. Let's go to New Jersey and see what that, what they say. Sorry, I don't want to get up on a Benino um, philanthropic, ranted as I commonly do. Let's go back to Jersey too. They've offered us uh, under the court rules for how we can do this. Let's look at this. And it's a good example for everybody. It's not that you have to be from New Jersey to find the value in this. Um, this is rules governing the courts of the state of New Jersey. Investigative detention. Prior to filling out the formal criminal charge against a person, an order authorizing a temporary detention of that person and compelling that person to submit to non-testimonial identification procedures for the purpose of obtaining evidence of that person's physical characteristics may be issued by a judge of the Superior Court pursuant to this rule, on application authorized in writing by the AG or the Attorney General's Office of Designee or by the County Prosecutor or an AP. The application and any subsequent pleadings shall be captioned in the Superior Court of New Jersey entitled, In the Matter of the Investigation of... So that's you got to write it. you got to put the name and description of the individual sought to be detained for the investigation. The specific type of identifying physical characteristics sought. So if it was the way they walk. The, the way they sound, their voice, the way they do handwriting, uh, the way they, th their fingerprints, a buccal swab, uh, whatever it may be. You're going to take a piece of hair to compare it to the other piece of hair. Whatever it may be, you have to tell them what it is, what you want. Let's go back. The method by which the evidence is sought to be obtained and the period of detention, not to exceed five hours during the physical characteristics sought to be obtained. And then, and notice in return, unless the judge finds the application to be emergent nature, as set forth below, the judge shall not consider it unless notice shall have been given personally to the person at least 36 hours before the application is to be made, that a state that a, that on a specific date and specific time application order to for an order of a temporary detention made to name to the judge. So you gotta tell the person first. I, I didn't even read this before I read it. So if it's not emergent, right? If you have somebody who's not going anywhere and you're trying to obtain their there, whatever it may be, you, I guess you have to offer them the opportunity to come in first before we come in and snatch your ass up. Interesting stuff. Things I should have read before I started this. Anyway, uh, let's see. The notice shall advise the individual that the council may accompany him or her at the hearing application. Grounds for issuance. This is what it says. Here's the here's the thing. In order for an investigative detention, shall only be issued if the judge concludes from the application that a crime has been committed and is under active investigation, and there is reasonable and well-grounded basis to, from which to believe that the person sought may have committed the crime, and the results of the physical characteristics obtained during detention will significantly advance the investigation and determine whether or not the individual possibly committed the crime, and the physical characteristics sought cannot otherwise be practically obtained. Just make sure I'm not getting messaged by everybody. Okay. 
and uh, contents for order, you know, merging application, service, filing. We don't have to go through all this. But just to further iterate my point, this exists. Maybe there are circumstances at some point in your career where you'll find yourself going, if we only had this guy's fingerprints. I can tell you there was a murder investigation in Union County, and I'm not going to get to the details of it, but the guy was subsequently convicted. I think the murder happened in Rollway. And I was told that they used one of these orders because on surveillance video, the guy had a very unique gait when he walked. So whatever it was, they made him come in. They got the investigative detention order. They made him come in and they made him walk on video to tie him back to the CCTV where he was caught walking away from the murder scene in his very unique gait. And that was a very crucial piece of evidence uh, that subsequently caused his conviction for the homicide that he had, that he had committed here. So let me go back to the group now. Keep it real. How many people in here, you don't got to tell me who knew it. How many people in here, just by a, a response or a comment in the group into this live video, actually knew this, uh, did not know this existed? Just, uh, just like me, 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 right? Like I didn't, I didn't. Think about the value that this video alone will bring to people. And this is not me tooting my own horn. This is me going, nobody knows this. Let me do the job and make sure people know that. Under what? Under the scrutiny of watchful eyes who are looking for anything where I try to open up and help everybody transparently, trying to give you my time on Sunday at no cost to try to help you educate and do your job better and catch bad guys and be safer. And yet there are people who are so insecure, they will take an opportunity to find anything, anything that they can to try to criticize me on. And instead of saying, oh, that was real good what he did, Here's another cool thing that I got. No, you'll find those insecure assholes, usually the five foot six Napoleon complex, picked on high school pieces of shit that we have to work with. And they're going to, well, watch, that guy's crazy. So here's the facts. If you don't think that's true, you can come forward and tell me where it says it's not. That's how we continue to stay up here on this video screen eight years later, advocating for helping police. Let's go over to the Facebook group and see if I have any questions, whatever it may be. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, all right. I'm going to say hello to everybody. Oh, Brandon Amory. What's up, dude? Chris James. Jay Whites. Jay Rowland. What up, brother? How are you? Uh, Jose Rodriguez. Sick of seeing you. Uh, Charles. Nick. Jacob. Agree. Justin. Hey, Ryan. Brandon. Don't want to miss you. I think we got you again, Brandon. Are we just going to cover the search vehicles for drugs other than just marijuana as well? Um. Uh, Maybe in another video. I think I've spent enough time on camera today. I've got down a whole different rabbit hole this moment. It's a big conversation to have. So I'm going to do it another day. That's what the what the case may be. Uh, Law enforcement handbook. That's correct. Chapter 8, Transporting Suspects, subsection. I think that's it. I'm glad that everybody came here and watched this video. I'll add the language of the courts. And I uh, hope we found value in it.